Good afternoon. We're thankful that you are here, and if you have your copy of the New Testament, you can be opening up to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, and we'll start there in just a moment. We're grateful that you're here for our visitors that are with us this afternoon. Look forward to uh, some festivities here in just a few moments, a baby shower, of course, uh, going on. Our kids will have Bible Bowl practice uh, going on during some of that, but we're uh, just thankful to have a great day together. Uh, good weather, good chance to study this morning, good fellowship, and look forward to the next few moments uh, in study here. If you've been with us for some time, you know that we've been going through a one-word study. It is a book uh, series that's meant to go necessarily, or I guess originally, through 52 weeks, 52-week uh, study, and go through one year, 52 words. Uh, I've taken it now twice, both at the congregation where I was uh, preaching part-time before at the Lake Hills Church, and then here and use it as a monthly study so we're not necessarily tied in each week to something. If we need to study other things, we can. Uh, but this is a good, a good study and something that we uh, can glean a, a lot from. Uh, there are a lot of authors, different folks who have written the chapters for these books. Uh, this one in particular is written by David Shannon, who's now the, the president at Fried Hardman University and wrote this particular word study that we're going to work through this afternoon. And so we are ready for what we're calling uh, month 24, but week 24 in the book. Um, and just to give you a brief recap, uh, we began by talking about the book is broken down into sections. The first section is some big picture words. We talk about creation. Uh, and some things like that. Then Christian character, we talked about some things that de define us or should define us like love and hope, some of those things. And then we talked about last things, which were uh, judgment and heaven and hell and words that go along with that particular theme. Then we began what is considered a study on relationships, and we're almost to the end of that. If you recall, we talked about mothers and marriage, Christians and elders, and now we're going to talk about the word deacon or deacons, and then we're going to finish up the relationship section uh, with the word fathers, God be willing, next month. And so that's kind of where we've come and even where we've been recently, uh, thinking about what the Bible has to say, in particular, lately here, uh, about our relationships that we go through. It's all about relationships. We've said it a hundred times or more here at the congregation in sermons and Bible classes uh, we know that, even as we spend time together today and we have things like a, a baby shower, we know it's about relationships and connecting with the old and the young and everyone being a part of the body. And so it's helped us to study some of these things, and it will be helpful, hopefully, for us this afternoon as we talk about this idea of deacons. What do you think of when you think of the word deacon? Some people would say, well, they're just simply junior elders. That's all they are. That might be uh, a derogatory term or a derogatory idea that they're just junior elders. Uh, some people say, well, that's how you got to be, right? You've got to be a deacon in order to be an elder one day, which is not necessarily true, of course. And not all deacons become elders as we talk about qualifications and that kind of thing. But some people say, well, they're just junior elders. Uh, some people then say, well, they're just errand boys. You know, they just, they just do all the grunt work, and they're just the errand boys around the congregation. In fact, Brother Shannon, in his notes, made mention of the fact, he said, my son, talking about him, he said at 15, I have a 16-year-old, my son at 16, year old, at 16 years old could do as much as many deacons are asked to do. Not that they can't do it or don't do a good job at it, but we just know sometimes these tasks are such that a lot of different people could do it. But then he goes on to ask the question, could it be that deacons are one of the most underutilized resources in the Lord's church? How many congregations use deacons as errand boys for the elders instead of highly qualified leaders 
as they're described in Scripture. See, I don't put those two up there lightly to make fun of anybody or, to, or for you to do that. But unfortunately, even as we've been talking about in our church reset book on Wednesday nights, sometimes we fall into the pattern of the world. And some people, that is the way that they would treat the deacons of the congregation. You may be familiar with the idea, we're going to come back to this in a few moments, uh, of the idea that they are waiters of tables. And that's kind of taken from the word study that we'll get to in just a few moments. And then, of course, we think about the other way that this is used is special servants. Uh, I was thankful uh, Brian preached a lesson on this last uh, August, uh, one one week when I was gone on a Sunday evening, and did a good job with talking about some of these words and and their role, the role of deacons. That was about the time that we were adding Travis Fredell to to our deacons, Uh, and so it's definitely worthy of our consideration, and it helps that we realize what we think about and and what we think about these men and the roles uh, that they have. So I ask you to turn to Philippians chapter 1, and you may recall that last well, I guess it's two months ago now, uh, where we talked about the word elders, we began talking about the fact that an elder, and I left it on the screen, and then you add in now, and deacons are part of God's plan for organization of the church. Philippians 1 and verse 1 begins that Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, writing to whom? To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, that would be one group of people, with the bishops, or we would say the elders, and the deacons. Now, of course, when we're talking about saints, we're talking about Christians. We're talking about people of the church, so elders and deacons would fit into that as well. But Paul goes through to make note of this uh, technical use of the term uh, for the word deacon here. It's a position of leadership. He greets all the church, all the saints, but he specifically mentions the leadership made up of bishops and deacons. Now, as Brian even said just a moment ago, and he said in his lesson previously, we know that all Christians should be servants, but here it's used in that that technical sense, and of course, that is kind of what we're going to look at uh, this afternoon. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you'll turn over to 1 Timothy, I'd like for you to notice something that maybe we don't often point out, and it actually begins in 1 Timothy chapter 2, if you will. 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul kind of expounds upon one of the most important desires of God. You see, when we talk about elders and deacons, we go, 1 Timothy 3. And that's not wrong. That's right. Well, we put it up on the screen there. But notice there in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, that Paul kind of talks about something else that, that God desires. He desires that all men, that all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. That's what God desires. Are deacons and elders, the church working together part of that? Yes. He desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, what does that look like? What does that mean? What might God be describing here? Well, as we've talked about in our Wednesday night class, sometimes what that means is, you know what we need? We need a new ministry. That's what people would say. Do you know what we need? We need a new small group. Or we need a new group to do this. Or we need a new focus on this particular area. We need a new class. That's what we need. We need a new Bible class if we're looking to help people be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's not wrong. That might be helpful depending on the congregation. But what does God say? When God is interested and shares with us that he desires all men to be saved, God looks to the infrastructure of the church or of the leadership of his church. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 3, then, if he desires all men to be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth, let's talk about 
the leadership, those who would help guide people in that, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3 with the overseers, with the bishops, with the elders there. And of course, when we talked about elders a month or so ago, we did not go through this list in great detail. And we're not going to go word by word through the qualifications of deacons, which begins in verse number 8 and goes through verse number 13. But we see here that the word, and we're going to get to the words in just a minute, uh, in the technical sense is to refer to leaders of the Lord's church. Those who will be qualified must fulfill these qualifications. This is an important passage for the church and for leaders, for a congregation to understand before appointing men into this position of leadership. If we don't pay attention to the list that God gives us here, we're essentially ignoring his design. We're ignoring his design. That goes in a broad sense when we talk about people who have uh, folks in the, the leadership position who are females, which, of course, goes against some of what's listed here. But even then, sometimes in congregations, we'll appoint people who've just been around the longest. Or, you know, they've been going here forever, so we just, we just ought to make them a deacon. You know, before they get too old, we ought to just make them a deacon without ever considering exactly what God says. And if you've ever been in a place where there are men who are serving in the eldership or as deacons who are unqualified, it can be, it can be a lot of problems simply because sometimes we don't try to understand and to follow God's design for leadership. But there is this list here. And I hope that you might consider a little further on your own. And certainly we might come back to it at a future time in a different lesson. When we think about this word for deacons, this, for this word, context matters. Now, if you notice at the top of the slide there, it says elder and deacon because this is the exact same slide as a few moments ago that we used when we talked about elders. You see, in the bulletin that week, or that, uh, yeah, for that particular week, Looking at that word, the very first line across your bulletin, across the bottom for the outline for elders said, with this word, context matters. We notice that sometimes we talk about elders as, as older people, people who are advanced in age. You might say they're your elders, but that's not what we're talking about when we talk about the office or the leadership position. Well, we're going to get to it in a second, but the same thing when you look across the New Testament, and again, as Brian mentioned, we're all to be servants deacons in a sense ministering uh, so with this word context matters in fact the technical use of the word this idea of the office of a deacon is found far less frequently in the, in the scripture you know you're only going to see a few times that it's mentioned about these this particular group of men who serve as leaders very often it's talking about us as saints as members of the lord's church and so it doesn't take away from their existence or the importance of their existence or the importance of their work, but we have to pay attention to the context. Yes, that kind of applies across Bible study, but certainly as we talked about the word elder, and now we're going to talk about the word deacon. First of all, let's go back in your Bible to Numbers chapter 3 and talk about the Old Testament for just a moment. Numbers chapter 3. Now, if you've been with us through some of these studies, very often if it's the word love or the word for hope or grace, we will talk about the Old Testament Hebrew word and we'll talk about the New Testament. And I say word, but sometimes that's multiple words in the original language. Well, when it comes to the Hebrew, there, an exact word for deacon isn't found. Don't get me wrong. There's not an exact word because that office did not exist. But there is a term with a similar usage, this word uh, sharat here, that's found in the Old Testament, 
it means to attend, attend to something as a menial or worshiper. Figuratively, to contribute or to minister or to serve. And in Numbers chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, this word, which is used, describes the Levites' service for the whole congregation under Aaron's leadership. Notice Numbers 3, verse 5, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron the priest, that they may serve him. And they shall attend to his needs and the needs of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of meeting to do the work of the tabernacle. Notice how the two descriptions in the first paragraph, uh, we're going to talk about it in just a moment in the New Testament word, but there's two descriptions of minister and of servant that are used, and that's exactly what these Levites are doing. They're servants or agents, if you will, from God to serve Israel under the submission of Aaron and God. You think about our deacons. They are servants or agents from God, in a sense, to serve the congregation under submission to, in our case, elders and to God. And so this is an Old Testament word that it does not mean deacon. Don't get me wrong. Misunderstand that. But kind of describes this idea of service. Well, then we come to the New Testament and we do find the word that you'll commonly hear preachers uh, reference as they talk about it, diakonos, which is the, the New Testament word from the Greek that's translated as one who serves as an intermediary, as an agent, or even a courier, if you will, as we talk about uh, the original language. One passage that I didn't put, the passage that's on the screen, I guess I should say first, is where we just were, 1 Timothy 3, 8, the official office, the qualifications that are given there. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, let me turn back over there as well. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 2, this is just one example. It says that Paul sent Timothy as a diakonos, as a minister of God to establish you. It also refers to a submissive servant. That's what we were just getting back to a moment ago with these Levites serving under Aaron and God. So it's kind of referred, um, refers to one who is a submissive servant, even the idea of one who gets something done at the behest of a superior. Well, that's where junior elder comes from, right? Kind of at times that maybe there's someone who, maybe not superior the best word, but an elder who's asking them to perform something or get something done. Well, that's a minister here. Uh, in the most generic sense, it is an attendant or a waiter, which is kind of where we get that idea we put up earlier as a waiter of tables. And there's different forms of this word. Uh, I don't uh, think it's usually best for us to get into all those details as we think about uh, New Testament and Greek and all the different forms of words. So we won't go deep into all of that, um, but it all deals with this a form of this word of servant. Uh, Everett Ferguson dispels the simple definition that's often heard for deacon as a waiter of tables. That's what we did use earlier where it says people will say that, and it kind of describes that, but... The, the group, the, excuse me, the root word here, uh, it can cover a lot of things when it comes to the service that we've talked about so far. So in fact, if you'll look at this, if you can, can make it out there, I uh, use a little brighter on this one, I believe, but the list of so-called ministers uh, or deacons in the New Testament is actually quite lengthy. Look with me in Romans chapter 15. I didn't put all the passages 
on the screen. Uh, certainly it's always available if you'd like it, but I'll mention a few of these. Romans chapter 15 and verse number 8. Romans 15 and verse number 8 goes along with the first word there, which is Christ, of course. But Christ is listed as a deacon, if you will. Now, I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant. Or my Bible, just the particular, just the particular version I have, a um, particular brand, I guess I might even say, has a notation to the middle that says minister. Well, guess what? Whether we're talking about servant or minister or deacon, that, that's kind of what's meant here. So Christ is listed as one who was a servant or a deacon. We already mentioned uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 2. That goes along on the left-hand side of the screen with Paul's co-workers. We talked about that a minute ago, that Timothy was a deacon or a minister of God. Also missionaries, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 5. Paul and Apollos were missionaries. 1 Corinthians 3, 5, who then is Paul, who is Apollos, but diakonos, but servants, ministers, deacons, through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. Notice verse 6, you know, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. This idea of carrying out the gospel and being a minister or a deacon even describes them as they're doing uh, mission work, if you will, in a sense. In John chapter 12, when this is going to be all believers on the top right-hand side of the screen, if you're jotting some of these down. John chapter 12 and verse 26. John 12 and verse 26. Jesus is already gone, has already gone through the triumphal entry, as we kind of define that particular occasion there, riding in on the donkey, getting near to the end of his life, the very last few days. John 12, 26, if anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. So Jesus is speaking about all believers here, and he's talking about them as ministers or deacons. That's the word that's used there. And even to the far right-hand bottom corner, there's the word for the office that we're talking about. So that kind of leads me back to where we were just a few moments ago, but it's this idea, context matters. I can't say it enough. As a Bible student, as a preacher trying to encourage you to know the Word of God, all of that is important, and you'll see that it could be easy to get tripped up as someone says, well, you know what? There are even messengers of Satan that are called deacons. Well, what are you guys doing over there? Well, it helps to kind of know a little bit about this particular word and the way that it's used. Acts chapter 6, just a few more passages here and the lesson will be yours. Acts chapter 6 is the place besides the qualifications that is usually mentioned. In fact, if you can make it out on the screen there, I have a question mark at the end because there might be some debate sometimes about whether or not what takes place in Acts chapter 6 is the first set or the original deacons, if you will. Uh, a quick summarization of Acts 6, you're probably familiar with this. Again, I know uh, Brian kind of covered this uh, last fall as he talked about it. But growth of the church creates its own set of challenges. You know, it seems unlikely that we would all of a sudden have 150 people here or 250 people. But if we did, right, we would have some trouble. Where's everybody going to sit? 
Uh, you know, where is everybody going to eat? What are we going to do? Church growth can sometimes create its own set of challenges, and that's exactly what is taking place here. The Jerusalem church has been growing rapidly. If you turned over there, notice and remember, of course, Acts 2.41, that there were those who were baptized in that day about 3,000 souls. Acts chapter 4 and verse 4, the number of men came to be about 5,000. Acts chapter 5 and verse 14, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And then even in chapter 6, where we are looking here, verse 1, when the number of the disciples was multiplying. I say that we wouldn't have 150 people here overnight, but it seems like they were growing pretty quickly there. And so they had been growing rapidly, and with that, they had sort of had this problem that the number of followers was surpassing the leadership's ability to lead, to help tend to what they needed at that time. And so then what happens when your needs aren't being met? Well, somebody's going to start complaining, right? Somebody's going to find a leader, and they're going to complain about what's going on. And so fortunately, the apostles had the type of relationship here, it seems, with the members that the church brings their complaints to them. I mean, straight up, even as we've talked in our church reset class about friction, confrontation, that happens. They come complaining, but the apostles say, well, we'll listen. Not only that, but we'll find a solution. They do not, they do not feed the widows themselves, the apostles don't right here, but they make sure that there are people, leaders, men in place uh, who can see that these widows were attended to or fed. So when we think about what's taking place here, then we see that there are men who are selected. Notice in verse number 2, and you're probably familiar with this, but then the 12 summoned the multitude and said, it's not desirable that we should do it. Verse 3, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But, they even give you the full context, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And you see in verse 5, those men who are chosen, notice even conflict resolution. It pleased the whole multitude. And then they choose this group of men, and the work is able to be continued. The apostles make sure that leaders are appointed to be over this business. And Acts chapter 6 is a great example of when leaders do their part Not only is the truth lived out among the people, but it's exalted among the people. So some people here are quick to say that this is the first example of deacons. And the answer to that is, well, maybe, possibly. I'm sorry to say that I can't, you know, stand here and say that's exactly it, but it does seem to be the case that as servants or special servants, that's what they're doing. By the time that the word or the office of deacon is referred to in a technical sense, The church seems to be well aware. What do we mean well aware? What do we mean by that? Well, Paul writes in Philippians 1.1 to the deacons. He writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 3, about these qualifications. So as the church matured, elders were to appoint uh, and to oversee and to appoint deacons to serve in a similar way as the servants here in Acts chapter 6. So yes, it's possible these were the first so-called deacons here, and certainly they give us a great example of what it means to serve. Let's finish with one thought here, and then the lesson will be yours. Back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We can talk for just a moment about deacons, and let me say here as well, our deacons need our encouragement. 
we went through back in, I think it was October. I can't remember if that's what it was. October is sometimes uh, celebrated as uh, Pastor Appreciation Month. Since we don't use that word in the same way, we took a, a time and oppor um, opportunity in October to honor our pastors, which is not the person who preaches per se, but the elders. We took a, a month and tried to honor them in various ways. But it's easy sometimes then that we might forget about those who are serving as deacons. And so I want to say here before we conclude these thoughts that we need to continue to lift them up and encourage them. If we're not careful, we fall into where we began with Aaron boys and junior elders, men who get hurt or upset. They, they want to serve, uh, and they're not saying that they've got to be glorified in a sense. But as we all work together, we want to honor them and thank them for their service and what they do and understand the position as we work together as saints, elders, and deacons. How can a deacon know if he is doing God's will? How can we evaluate our deacons? Have you ever been through an evaluation before? I remember I had to go through several, of course, at my previous job. I had to give several, which was always uncomfortable and not always easy. Well, what are we, how are we going to line these deacons up and evaluate them? Well, rather than do it, of course, in a, a sense like we do in our business practices, think about 1 Timothy 3 and think about verse number 13. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. How can a deacon know if he's doing God's will? First question, is he serving? As it says here, for those who have served. You know, sometimes deacons, the list that they have to take care of, the things they need to do, is only one thing among their lives as a husband, as a father, as a employee or a leader at their business. They've got a lot of things to do, and sometimes this list at the congregation can be something else, and it's easy to set that aside. So are they serving? But notice as well there it says, for those who have served well. So number one, are they serving Secondly, how we could, could we evaluate them? Are they serving well? But then finally, from this passage, has the deacon gained great confidence or boldness in the faith? Isn't that what Paul says here? Those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Jesus. It is true that going forward we walk by faith. But looking back, we can often see God's powerful work and his generous blessings. An experienced leader who has tested God in his life will enjoy the ability to look back and see God's faithfulness. And when we think about it, a past life of service with strong faith today will create a bold man who serves God, a bold man of God who can look back, see that service, know that he's serving well, and he has gained great confidence because of that. So is that how we can evaluate deacons? Well, I think so. For us as members, we should encourage them, as we said, appreciate them and let them know that from time to time. A deacon is an office of, important, of importance of men who do an important work. And it would especially help us as we think about working together here that we continue to honor them in such a way. And, and the one thing we definitely don't have time for this afternoon, but we need to always be thinking about men who can serve in that way and train them to do that. I'm afraid sometimes we look at this group down here uh, of young men who sometimes sit here and we say, well, that's exactly who we're talking about. Yeah, we're kind of talking about them. 
But let's not forget others in our congregation who maybe have not served as a deacon. Young men who maybe don't have a family yet or have a young family or maybe are a little bit older but have, could have an opportunity to serve if they meet those qualifications. May we continue to encourage our men to do those things and to serve in a great way. We appreciate our deacons. We appreciate our elders. We appreciate all of our members and are thankful for this time of study. As we conclude this lesson, we think for just a moment about heaven's invitation. We encourage you, if you're here this afternoon and you're not a child of God, to study and to know God's simple plan of salvation. If you'd like to know more about that, we would study with you even today, even as soon as possible, because it is the greatest decision that one can make. It's so important that we stop at the end of our lesson to think about these things, to sing a song of encouragement that through its words, we might encourage you to think about your standing with God. If you need to become a Christian, we'd be singing to encourage you to do that. If you're here, you've done that in times past. This is one of those lessons that doesn't necessarily cause you to think about your life, but maybe it's something else today. Maybe it's just the fact that you know you've not been living for God and you'd like to take advantage of this moment to come back to him, repent of your sins, confess them before him. He is faithful and just to do that, to forgive you. You can again walk in the light as he is in the light. The beauty of, as we've already talked about in this lesson, is the body, the family, all of us working together, and we'd love to pray with you and for you. And we'd love to encourage you even now as we stand together and as we sing.